Hello, I'm Becky Hadid, host of The Storied Recipe. As my weekly guests share their stories through the vessel of cherished food memories, we all become better cooks, more grateful for the gift of food, and we honor those that have loved us through their cooking. When I posted a photo of my mother and I cooking together a few months back, Melissa messaged me to share just how much she misses her own mom, who lives in Ecuador. She mentioned that the holidays are especially hard for homesickness, but that she channels her heartache into cooking Ecuadorian sweets for others. Naturally, I asked her to share one with you and me. Happily, Melissa obliged by sending over her recipe for pristinos, a simple Ecuadorian pastry shaped like a crown and deep fried. After I tried the recipe, we settled in for our interview. While Melissa lives in Seattle and I on the East Coast, we sat wrapped in blankets and chatted via Skype for hours. I could have continued to chat with her for hours more. Well, thank you for taking the time to get on the phone with me. Oh, no, thank you. I love your podcast. We cook with a lot of memories, so sharing the stories are very unique. Well, I love hearing them. You had me make, so I'm, I'm going to say it incorrectly, but I'm going to soldier through and keep trying to say it. So, prestinos, can yes. you tell me what they are? They are a traditional Christmas dish. Why it's made in Christmas, it's because our, our culture, it's 95% Catholic. As you know, by the end of Christmas, after, the six, after six days, there comes um, the King's Day, the Día de los Reyes. Oh, so, so okay. So actually, I have to back up because I, I don't actually know about the six or se- I've heard of 12 days of Christmas and I know about Christmas Day, but I don't know about the six. Tell me about that tradition. So after six days, it's called Dia de Reyes. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that is not celebrated a lot in South America because it's a mostly a, mix, a Mexican tradition. Oh, okay. But why, why we know it's because we lived here and so my mom had a lot of Mexican friends. On the sixth day, it's Dia de los Reyes, which it's like another Christmas for them. It's because all the kings come with gifts for the new, for the newborn. For oh, the Jesus. Magi. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So is Christmas Day still considered to be December 25th? Yes, but you know, we, we celebrate, meaning we gather on the 24th and the 25th. It's like a relaxing day for us. Okay. And then do you call the 24th Christmas Eve or do you call that the first day of Christmas? We call it Christmas. You call that Christmas. Okay. And then, okay. And then you relax on the 25th. Yeah. And that's like the second day. And then the seventh day is when you celebrate the Magi coming and bringing their gifts. Exactly. Okay. Would you have Pristinos that last day, that seventh day? No, we actually have pristinos on on Christmas Day, meaning Christmas Eve. Okay. I'm just trying to connect them since the pristinos also look like a crown. Oh, like a like a crown, like a king or a queen yeah. wears a crown. I see. So you eat them on um, Christmas, your Christmas, December 24th, and they're kind of commemorating these kings. Yes. Uh, that came to worship baby Jesus. Yes. Okay, so describe the, their flavor and texture. So my grandmother makes it with mm-hmm. eggs. Oh. Um, I just personally take the eggs away because we just try not to use too many animal products in the house. Okay. And I like, I like them crispy as well. So if you want them doughy, you can add the eggs. Um, the flavor, 
Oh my God, it's it's so hard to describe it. Um, let's see. It's crispy with a little tiny bit of tartness because of the lemon juice. Mm-hmm. I've never had dough with lemon juice in it before. So the lemon juice, um, we use it mostly when you fry it, it starts popping a little bit. Oh. Just a tiny bit of acidity, but it's so little that you don't really feel it in the in the dough. I would say it's a very basic flavor, but you know, it's fried. You cannot go wrong with fried stuff. <laughs> I agree with that for yes. sure. So let me ask you about this because I think I did it wrong. So the recipe said one quarter cup lemon juice with lukewarm water. Does that mean like a quarter of a cup liquid total? Or do you start with the quarter of a cup of lemon juice? So it's a total combined. <sighs> then I did that definitely wrong. And it took, and you know what? It, this is like any other culture. This was given to me without measurements. And so you go with the water and the lemon, you know, as you see the consistency of the dough, more like a bready, stretchy dough. Okay. So how wet should it be? Will, will it stick to your fingers if you're not using flour? It should stick you know to what your I mean? fingers, but mm -hmm. it should be very uh, bouncy. Okay. Well, mine was easy to work with. So that was good. The finished product was, I want to say almost chewy. Is that correct? There is no correct or wrong with this. <laughs> <laughs> so you did it right. <laughs> okay. Because I understood it to mean a quarter of a cup of lemon juice and then add lukewarm water as you need it. They had a, a pretty strong lemon flavor. My second oldest son loved them. Oh, good. Even in our own country, you go to house to house and they all have different textures. Mm. The other question I had in terms of forming them, you said it, you know, basically take the dough and form it into the size of a ping pong ball and then roll it as a snake. So <laughs> yeah. this is this is a technique I should have mastered with Play-Doh <laughs> in kindergarten. <laughs> but do you tend to just hold it in your hands and kind of slide your hands back and forth to make that snake? Or do you roll it on something flat? I do it in my hands. I didn't miss that class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you went to school that day. <laughs> yes. Also, you know, we used to do a lot of these things with my grandmother when we were young. She was our teacher. Yeah, they are time consuming. I was thinking, you know, this would be really fun with a whole bunch of people around the table, but it's kind of taking a long time here by myself. <laughs> yes. And then tell me about the sauce, because you said you give up on doing it the way they do it at home. You just do it your own way now. Unless, okay. I mean, if my grandmother hears me that I'm doing a mango sauce for the pristina, she'll go like, oh, my God, what have you done? <laughs> you know, that's not traditional. What's traditional? Yeah, so originally it's only this black sugar, which is called, in most South American countries, it's called panela. But, you know, as you can see in the Me in Mexico, it's called piloncillo. Okay, and that's how I bought it, as the piloncillo. Yes, because oh. it's, the, when you buy it, it's hard as a rock, the block. But this, the Mexican one, it's not. You can easily break it with your hand. Oh, you're saying the South American one is harder than the one that I bought. Oh, yes, yes. Because Ecuadorian panela, it's, I mean, the South American, it, and mm -hmm. you actually have to use like a, like a little hammer to break it. Oh, wow. Yes. I if mean, you will bang your head on that. That's hard. <laughs> I would avoid banging my head on the sugar. <laughs> um, okay. And the South American panela, which is harder, you can kind of melt down with 
water into like a honey syrup, but the piloncillo, you cannot. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know, I've tried with this one, but it goes like a little bit granular. I've left it for probably two hours and I don't see a difference. Yeah, if it's not going to do it after two hours, yeah. that's not going to happen. Exactly. So what's the difference? Why is the Mexican dark sugar so much harder than the South American? The South American version, it's processed a little bit longer, squeeze all the juice of the cane sugar. Mm-hmm. And then I think they boil this sugar, which, you know, the, the cane sugar comes out with a sort of a, like a black sugar. This is another great example of how little I know about my food. Yes. I actually have no idea what a sugar plant looks like, how it's grown, how it's processed, nothing. Start start from the beginning. Talk to me like you're <laughs> talking to a little kid about sugar. <laughs> so so a cane sugar is about the height of, of corn. Oh, okay. They are about like five to six inches in diameter. Okay. And they're the green. The stalk is five to six inches in diameter. Yes. Okay. And they're just very tall and they grow in... It's sort of a subtropical weather. Okay. And to harvest it, well, I used to see it in the very old old school, you know, with a machete. Mm. Um, And we were lucky to just eat fresh, fresh sugar canes. It's a very hard um, shell. Like once you start peeling it, you can just uh, unpeel it with your your teeth. Oh, wow. But the Mm -hmm. outer layer, it's you have to like start somewhere like peeling Mm. it with a knife or something. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you can just pull it right back. And the sugar cane, what does it look like inside? And is it hard or squishy? So it's hard and it's white and it has lots of fibers. Okay. So you don't actually eat it. So you just chew on it. That's why there's like lots of um, the process of it. They go through machines with all the skin and everything, and they just squeeze all the sugar. So they get all very squeezed. When you chew on a sugar cane, does it taste like the sugar we buy in the store? Oh, my God. No, no way. (laughs) No way. You know, it almost tastes like cotton candy. Oh. Because it is so sweet. And and so it tastes a little bit like the brown sugar. So the brown sugar, it's an unprocessed sugar, and you can call it a pure sugar. That's why it, it's okay to use, you know, if you have a vegan style because it's unprocessed. Okay. The white sugar, it's, I don't know if, if you know how it goes white. No, I have no idea. Oh, it goes through marrow bones to make it white. Oh. Why do we even want it white? <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. So if we buy, you know, organic sugar, the organic FDA sugar in the States, at least, it has to be without that process. So it violates the vegan lifestyle because it's going through bone marrow, which is obviously coming from an animal, but it violates the organic. Why does it violate organic standards? Honestly, I think it's because you you don't know if these bones are organic. So So what's the difference in the process? How do you get the different granule sizes? That's a great question. You know, I just know of the process of boiling it. I'm assuming it has to do with the way they dry it Mm -hmm. before the, before, you know, the panela or the piloncillo. Mm -hmm. They're just compacted, you know, so it's like straight boil it and compacted. But I'm assuming there has to be more of a technical process when they do the other the other sugars. Well, maybe one of our listeners will know <laughs> and enlighten yes. us. They're probably thinking, oh, 
they don't know this. <laughs> <laughs> I know my mom listened to something I said in a couple episodes back and she told me yesterday, that's not true, you know. <laughs> I taught like, you well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. How does brown sugar fit into this? You know what I'm talking about? Like Domino's brown sugar. Okay. Is that just, it hasn't gone through the marrow? Yeah, that has not either. Okay. Those sugars all have a lot more of a, I want to call it a molasses flavor. Do you agree? Yes. And is that what the sugar cane, does it have that flavor as well? The sugar cane, it's a little bit more pure of a flavor. So it, it has, it's different. So boiling it must alter the flavor then. Yes, exactly. Molasses comes out of sugar. Well, yeah. I didn't know that either. Yes. Yeah. So molasses, it's a byproduct of sugar. That's what going through the marrow does. It separates the molasses and the sugar. That's why also in vegan baking, you can use uh, molasses because it's basically sugar. Okay. That's I why brown sugar is like sticky, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not powdery or fine. Mm. Let's transition a little bit to your life in Ecuador. So you said you saw people with machetes. Was this like a common sight for you? Did you live near sugar plantations? Did you live on one? <laughs> no. Oh, no, I was not that lucky. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, you know, my dad loved um, to go to the mm, sort of the coast side. Mm. So had, where, where did you live? I live, I live in the capital in Quito. Oh, okay. But my, my dad always loved to go to the coast side, uh, a very tropical side deep into the farms because he had a family there. Okay. And they had plantations of uh, of plantains, of oranges, of all the tropical fruits you can find. Mm. Uh, and so they will be the ones like, oh, you'll be walking. Oh, you want some cane sugar? And they will just like go and cut it with a machete. Mm. That's how it traditionally was. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, nowadays, it's crazy, the mass production. And it's sad. You know, I recently watched a documentary. I don't know if you've seen documentaries about avocado, about water, about sugar. And we recently watched the sugar one and it was sad. You know, it just made me think, do I really need to put sugar in like my baked goods? Because mm-hmm. the employer, employers, you know, big companies are taking advantage of the people. Your father had family that were farmers. Yes. Did you see them exploited? This was back in the 90s. So, you know, by then, Ecuador was still pretty fair with what they were paying. What was the process for your father's family selling? They would just get all the crops and then take it to the market. And I Mm. think they would sell it to someone who was selling in the market. But (laughs) there was no legal legal process of it. Okay. So it would just go to the open market and people would buy it and either cook with it or then resell it to someone else. Exactly. I see. And that was a good life. That was a good living. Yeah. I mean, I've always noticed the less people have, the more happy they are. And I mean, honestly, they did have like a, a healthy life, meaning they were, there was really no distractions. They, they worked on the farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, they ate from the farm. Mm-hmm. It was all fresh food and there was pretty much a very clean air. We just honestly didn't like it, my brother and I, because... It was it's it was as humid as it could be, <laughs> <laughs> and all the mosquitoes. And you know, it was like you go and sleep in a in a house that I had 
wood beds and it had no no windows but only nets because of all the mosquitoes oh wow so it was also convenience (laughs) (laughs) were they disease carrying was malaria or dengue fever common there no No. okay because we went a lot of times but we never got anything or heard of anything they were clean mosquitoes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, you said a few minutes ago when I asked you if you grew up on a farm or near a farm, you said, no, I wish I was so lucky. As a kid, did you feel that way? Did you feel like, oh, this is the life I wish I could live here? <laughs> no, when I was little, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> <laughs> when I was little, I was counting the minutes until we go home, honestly. But now, I mean, now when I look back, I'm like, oh, man, I could have, you know, taken advantage of that. So what was life like in, it's Quito is the capital? Yes. Quito. What was life like in Quito? Uh, It's a very urban city. By -hmm. then it wasn't as big as it is today, but my mom purposely took us there. Well, I was born here in Chicago. Okay. And then my mom wanted to move to Ecuador uh, when we were nine. Were your mom and dad both Ecuadorian? Yes. And they met in Ecuador or they met in the States? In Ecuador. Okay. Yes. But my dad was uh, was already living here. So he went to visit Ecuador. And then he met your mom? Yes. And so my mom wanted to raise us there purposely just to make us feel uh, grateful about all the little things we can have. Mm. And not precisely materialistic things. Because in the States, it gets very easy to get materialistic, especially with teenagers. Yes, it does. As adults, we're certainly not immune to it. Yes. So I think it was it was a great move she had. You mm. know, she made us appreciate everything. Even though we weren't poor, she mm. she just really taught us how to save on every little thing. Because in Ecuador, back then in the 90s, we moved on 93. Um, 1993, for instance, uh, paper towels here in the States are a common thing. Mm -hmm. Everybody has them, but in Ecuador, it's not common because they're expensive. Yeah. Because back in the 90s, there was no Ecuadorian or Latin American brand that was making them. So they were basically imported. I see. She was funny because it's not like she didn't, she couldn't buy it. She just, it was just her way of teaching us. Right. You don't have to have it. Yes. Yes. It's yes. a responsibility. Money is a responsibility. Yes. And also she, she wanted to move there to give us more of a traditional way to live. While we were here in the States, she always cooked always traditional food as well. She kept us on the roll with Ecuadorian food. <laughs> <laughs> were you happy? So when you're you know leaving second grade when she says, well, next year we're going to go to school in Ecuador. Do you remember at all how you felt? You know, I don't remember very much. Mm-hmm. I, it obviously didn't affect me much because I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just a very, very friendly and social at school when I was like, oh, yes, new friends, you know, going to Ecuador. Unlike my brother, my brother was at the time he was 12. So for him was a lot harder. Okay. I would say, you know, the best part of my, of my life was in Ecuador. Mm. I want to follow up on that. I want to go back for a second first and explore a little bit more this idea of she wanted you to learn, to learn to appreciate what you did have. So was that going to happen by the money just wouldn't stretch as far? Or was that going to happen by you would see other people with less? How was she hoping that that lesson would be taught? You know what I mean? 
Yes. And, you know, I think it's actually from both ends Mm -hmm. that she wanted to teach us. Because my mom comes from a very, very poor family. My grandmother Mm -hmm. had nine children. Mm -hmm. And she was able to buy, on the lucky days, she was able to buy one ounce of meat for all of them. One ounce. Wow. Um, Wow. We consider four ounces to be a serving. (laughs) Exactly. So I guess the process in her head was, you know, I want them to learn that we should stretch our feet until the blanket covers us. That that was my grandmother saying. Mm. Um, and then the other one was, yes, we will see how other people have less. And we're very fortunate to have whatever we have. I see. But also they have less. So you see how fortunate you are to have what you have. But on the other hand, you also seem to observe that they were happier. Yes. And, you know, we even though we did have, you know, a little bit more than the average, because, of course, we went from the States and we mm-hmm. didn't. It's not like we bought new stuff to go. We just took whatever we had. Yeah. But just seeing that we were able to have more, my mom would always say no anyway. Mm-hmm. Even here in the States, she 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 started her training <laughs> mm. when we were about toddlers, you know, because we would want a toy here. And she would say, you know what, next time I come and I have money, then I'll get you. And then she'll never in our heads. We're like, man, she never has money. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was a great training. Yeah. So you said it was the happiest days of your life. Oh, back in Ecuador. Yes. Mm hmm. What do you think made those such happy days? I think it was the lifestyle that my mom was able to build into us, you know, to the discipline that was built into us. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very busy life. Mm. Um, you mentioned you were on the swim team. Yes. Yeah, so I was on the swim team. And then I also was on the chorus of uh, my university by that time. And then I, w- then I switched to triathlon. And then I was also um, in the conservatory with piano and violin. You have the <laughs> athletics, you have the music, you have the photography. Hey, you know, my mom was a smart woman. She tried to keep us away from trouble. So, mm. Do you feel like the same kind of lifestyle that you were so happy with would have been possible in the States? Or do you feel like it was unique because it was in Ecuador? I think it was unique because it was in Ecuador. Mm. You know, most of my friends... Of, and all my great memories are from sports, the way we would just travel to nationals or travel for this and, you know, with the team. And it was just fun. There was not too many like logistics on like fancy logistics. You know, we would just grab a bus and then the hotel was paid already up until the day. I don't know if my parents paid the hotel or the or the team paid the <laughs> hotel. <laughs> but I just feel that. Yes, yeah, sports here, you do all those things, but it sounds like maybe they're a little more filled with pressure than you experienced? Exactly. Yeah. I see. Tell me about extended family there. Um, you mentioned making the pristinos around your grandmother's brick oven. Yeah. So, yeah, my most of my mom's family are in Ecuador. Mm-hmm. And she, that was one of most of her purposes why we went there, because she wanted us to see how my grandmother lived. And my grandmother, you know, she had, what, nine children. Mm-hmm. She do- she doesn't have a lot of money, but she did have, you know, the brick oven and a little bit of um, farm on the side of her house. Mm-hmm. All these 
holidays where we all get together. All of our cousins, we were all between like eight and 12. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so we would gather and she would have the dough ready for us. So we would just roll and roll. So the oven, the break oven has a little room as well. Mm -hmm. So we will all fit in the room and she would have wooden, wooden tables. Okay, so, so I'm trying to picture the actual this. Oven. Okay, <laughs> like this is Hansel and Gretel here. <laughs> so there was a special room that the brick oven was in. Yes, I see. And there was a little table and chairs in there. So you can call it yeah, like like a big studio, and the big oven was there. Okay, the oven was built into the wall, like you would. Yes, I see. I see. Well, I was going to say it sounds cozy, but I guess it was never cold in Ecuador. It's always cold. It's always cold because high in mountains? High elevation, yes. The capital. Uh, I mean, if you go to the coastside, it's very tropical. But in the capital, we're on the equator. That's why it's called Ecuador. Mm -hmm. So we have crazy weather. So we can have a very bright, strong sun. And then we have a storm like within 10 minutes. Okay. I didn't know that. The equator was known for volatile weather. Interesting. But the cold was because of the elevation. And you know what's funny? If it's the, if the oven, it's not on. It's freezing cold in there because oh, of the bricks. Yeah, all the draft. Yes. Mm. Wow. So you would all go in there together and just roll the pristinos? Yes. And then she, will, she would always gather it in a, in a big sheet, of, uh, a pan sheet, and just take it to fry in the kitchen. And we just kept doing. And she just, she did not need any more pristinas, but she just wanted to get rid of the dough. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of your grandmother frying them in the kitchen, I had some frying difficulties I wanted to ask you about. Do you use a thermometer or can you just tell when the oil is hot enough? I use a thermometer. So I did too. And I should be able to control the temperature because I have a gas stove. And I'm telling you, Melissa, I am horrible at controlling the temperature when I fry things. I go way too hot. And then something happens to oil when you go too hot and it almost gets that fishy smell. Uh -huh. Have you ever had that uh -huh. happen? Yeah. I did that last night. <laughs> and then I went too cold. I just can't control that temperature. Do you have any tips on that? Let's see, I heat oil until 360. Let me see. And then I put like about, it depends on your pot, but I put like about five or six. Mm -hmm. And then I take them out and then I let it cool again up to 360. It, but not raising the heat. I also have an electric stove, which really is not good for frying. No, if you can do it with an electric stove, I absolutely should be able to do it with a gas stove. But well, yet Nicholas liked it. I think it was Nicholas. It, uh, it was Marcus. Marcus oh. loved them. <laughs> Nicholas was already in bed or he probably would have liked them, too. Oh. So um, you just make you get it right to the temperature and then you don't worry about the fact that the temperature drops when you put them in. No. Okay, no, and then I you just let them go. And then I fry them like for, let's see, as soon as I drop them like for three or four minutes. But you, you can see by the color. Mm -hmm. What I color are them. you going for? For light golden. A light golden. I think mine would definitely be a darker golden. So I think I need to go a little less time. A little lower heat, a little less time. Uh -huh. Yeah, <laughs> frying, frying is a new technique. You know, I'm not good at deep frying. No, frying is a whole game to itself. It really is. And it's a mess. Do you reuse your oil or are you just done with it when you fry? Uh, we re we re reuse the oil for about 
three or four times, but uh, we filter it. Well, I cannot say we. My partner filters it for me because that's the lazy part of me. <laughs> he, filter, he filters it through coffee, um, coffee filters. Oh, that's a good idea. That's a really good tip. I'll do that. So did your grandmother, your grandmother taught you the Pristinos. That's who the, the, those memories are centered around. How about other cooking and baking? Was that your mom, your grandmother or other people? That was definitely my mom. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. always had, she always had cake in the house, banana bread or orange and chocolate cake. Oh, orange and chocolate <laughs> cake. Yeah. Our yeah orange- one, of the, one of my marble cakes that I have in my blog, it's, I start. I did it because it just brings memories. She always had that marble cake. Mm. Are oranges and chocolate both products made um, grown in Ecuador? Well, chocolate, yes, cacao. It's from mm-hmm. Ecuador. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oranges, we do have oranges, but definitely not like here. Um, the oranges in Ecuador, I think they're a lot from Chile as well. Okay. And so they are. They don't have that, you know, orange color. They are a little bit yellowish green and they're not sweet. If you ever, ever find those, like the oranges, like from from Florida, Mm -hmm. they will cost you an eye. (laughs) Oh, in Ecuador. Yes. I see. I see. Okay. So there just must be a very different climate that they're grown in here to have such a different flavor. Yes. I see. So are there flavors or techniques besides this cake that you associate specifically with Ecuadorian food? Flavors is definitely cinnamon. Mm. We use cinnamon on a lot of things. Sweet and savory dishes? Sweet only. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, You're big on sweets in Ecuador? Yes. We are (laughs) definitely big on sweets. I mean, there are a couple other traditional pastries in Ecuador. Mm. That you can see on my Instagram, the quimbolitos and quesadillas. Mm. Oh, quesadillas. Yeah, so Ecuadorian quesadillas. That's not with cheese and sour cream, huh? (laughs) Well, it does have cheese in it. You know, cheese is queso. And sweets? Yeah, this is the reason. So you asked me, there was a question where you said, you know, why did you choose to give me uh, pristinos, right? Yes, Uh uh-huh. Because, honest to God, it's the easiest recipe I can handle. <laughs> because the other ones definitely need assistance. <laughs> you didn't think I could handle anything else? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm just thinking, you know, it's traditional stuff that it's more like a pastry. Yes. It, that if you look at the quesadillas on, the in, on my Instagram feed, you'll uh-huh. see that it has a crust that hugs the filling. Oh, The quimbolitos are a spongy dough, a spongy cake uh, wrapped in a banana leaf. Oh, wow. Where do you, do you buy banana leaves at your Latin markets? Yes, but they sell, well, here, yes, they sell it fresh and frozen. But originally, this quimbolito, it's not wrapped in banana leaf. It's wrapped in a leaf called achira. Okay. Yeah. What is that? A cheetah is a plant that it's only grown in South America and mostly Peru and Ecuador. And it's just had a subtle flavor. Like it, it just, banana leaf has a very strong flavor that passes on to your cooked goods. But the achita has a very neutral flavor. Okay. Do banana leaves have a banana flavor? Not a, like I've... a sweet banana flavor, but you can, you can definitely taste, this is so funny, taste the smell of the banana. 
Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Okay. <laughs> yes. Wow. Um, also on sweet beverages, I mean, one of the main beverages, it's called, so cinnamon in Spanish is called canela. Oh, uh-huh. And a traditional Ecuadorian beverage, it's with, with hard liqueur and cinnamon, but it's boiled. Mm. So, so it, all the alcohol is cooked out. Oh, kind of, because it's sort of like blue, sh- I think it's called blue shine here. Oh, huh. So it's a very strong uh, beverage. Okay. I'm going to look that up, blue shine. So it's called canelazo, meaning, mm. you know, canela, it's cinnamon. Mm-hmm. And they put canelazo because they're boiling and it's hot. But that's one of the sweet beverages you can find if you're walking out in, uh, in downtown at night or something. Did living in Ecuador or eating Ecuadorian food or um, influence your decision to go vegan? Oh, no. And, and I say it no in a good way because the only reason why we decided to go vegan, it just because we did not want it to support, you know, mass production. Like you said, in the States, you don't know where your food comes from. Mm-hmm. We are extremely love and uh, we extremely love animals. Oh, who's uh, we? You and your husband? Yes, my partner. We're not married, but my partner. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, I like I, I always say it when I can. We're not 100% vegan. Because mm-hmm. in Seattle, it's a little common to have chickens in their mm-hmm. houses. Mm-hmm. And so you can find, you can easily find or get um, local, local eggs. So when they're like local or if we have some neighbors that they have it, then we just buy it. But mm-hmm. we at least know where it comes from. That's really what it comes down to for you is if you know where it comes from, you know how the animal was treated. Yes. And also, you know, before... Uh, my grandmother used to have also chicken back in Ecuador in her house. Mm-hmm. So if she would cook a chicken, I would eat the chicken soup or whatever she make because it's her chicken. Mm-hmm. I understand that. So tell me about your decision. You live in the States now. What made you choose to live here for now? And when did you come back? So number one, yes, my plan is to go back. <laughs> to Ecuador. Oh, good. Yes. Uh, okay. I don't know when yet, but we'll see. I came here about nine years ago, I think, to finish college. So mm-hmm. I studied in San Francisco. And then I was by then with my partner as well. And then we decided to move to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, the main reason was because I was still uh, training triathlon. In California, I find it very difficult. I did find it very difficult to train with a team. I have to say a triathlon, it's an expensive sport. It was also an expensive team, and they would have very specific times to train, mm-hmm. uh, which was like 10 in the morning when I was working. So I was like, oh, my God, right. Like, does anybody wake up at 5 here? And <laughs> <laughs> nobody did. I was the only crazy one. That's why we decided to move, because Seattle is definitely a more a more active. Mm-hmm. Do you only do food, food photography and your blog? I do mostly food photography, but I do beverage stills because my partner is a bartender and he goes into a lot of competitions. Yeah. Your beverage work is stunning. Oh, thanks. I see. Thanks. So do you travel? Does he travel to competitions? Yeah. Oh, yeah, really? He's lucky. He gets paid to go to competition. <laughs> what is a bartending? What are you judging when you go to a bartending competition? So he does. He develops a recipe as well for it. Um, he goes through a lot of websites searching for competitions, you know, and they give you the guidelines of 
you know, we're trying to develop this new, let's say, vodka. That should be the start in the in the cocktail. Okay, so these are mostly sponsored by companies that produce the alcohol. Yes, if he wins a competition, then they fly him out for for the price. So he's gone to Mexico twice to a few distilleries, part of uh, of winning a competition. Wow, he must be very good. He's pretty good. He's been doing it, I believe, since he was like 18 when it was still illegal. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I mean, 21 is legal. So Right, right, right. Now, I, when I saw that your parents came um, or your mom came to Seattle, I was assuming she came from Ecuador or did she come from Chicago? No, they live in Ecuador. And, and, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy they stay there because it's compared to the state. I mean, I wouldn't want them to go old here. It's mm. there's definitely a more relaxed environment in Ecuador. Mm. You know, it's a little the state is a little bit more of a stressed country. <laughs> Sadly, I mean, because we are all aware and, you know, we're all like, oh, what can happen? You know, do mm, you think the stress comes down to more information? Yes. That is interesting. <laughs> huh. And, and how about your brother? Oh, my brother. My brother lives in Vietnam. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> He's on the other tip of the world. But, you know, it's it's kind of nice. When we visit, we have, we have a, an excuse to go far and explore mm. places. You said you'll be very homesick this Christmas. Uh, you know, the holidays kick in very strange ways. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's when I start cooking more traditional food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, tell me about that. So I, I can, so I also cook to share my, my culture. Mm. I, I cook for, to share my culture and to express my feelings a little bit. Mm. Um, so those like cooking traditional pastries for me, it's like nostalgic, but in a, in a nice way. Will you celebrate Christmas um, in the Ecuadorian styles? So you're probably going to laugh at this. So ever since I've been in the States, uh -huh. uh, I don't really celebrate Christmas because my parents' family is in California. So he goes to California on Christmas and I your, stay, your, I stay your home. Partner. Yes, my partner. Oh, I see. Okay. And I stay in Seattle because I care for our elderly Cocker Spaniel and our cat. And so for us in Ecuador, Christmas is not as much as a big deal as New Year's Eve is. So he's definitely here for New Year's Eve. What will you do for New Year's Eve? Oh, my God. 31st, there's Latin, Latin music, cumbias and salsa. So I play that like mostly all day. So it just gives me the warm feeling of being home. And uh -huh. I do actually, pristinos, I actually do them on New Year's Eve. And then I cook something also, something more traditional, like mm -hmm. little potato patties that are savory stuff. It's a very simple as well, just uh, mashed potatoes with a little bit of butter and salt. But you just put cheese in the middle, that pan fried. Do you find that it's difficult to reproduce any Ecuadorian techniques or to find Ecuadorian like an Ecuadorian type of cheese, for instance, here in the States? Oh, yes. Any type of cheese or yogurt, it's not easy to find it here. It, it, because a different type of animal or different type of processing? The processing. You know, okay. the, the fresh cheese over there that we used to get in Ecuador was actually from a family friend that used to have a farm and used to milk the, the, milk the cows and make her own fresh cheese. So... <laughs> Was it a soft cheese, a hard cheese? Soft. 
because they would put it in the brine and just let it harden. So when we would go buy it, it, they would just take it out fresh out of the brine. It's probably a little bit like cottage cheese without the the little like lumps, just in one piece. But when you touch it, it's very springy. Have you ever had panna cotta? I have not. So So, it's almost spreadable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a cheesecake, but a lot softer. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. So you're just not vegan for New Year's Eve? No, I actually do use the vegan cheese. Oh, you do? You do? Okay. So what is a vegan cheese? What is it made from? Mostly from soy. And honestly, we don't, we really try not to buy like a lot of processed, you know, cheese. You can also be unhealthy as a vegan or vegetarian or whatever. Mm-hmm. The state mm-hmm. provides you with all of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, we have many paths to um, being unhealthy. <laughs> yes. Do you struggle with issues of this being a second culture or do you feel comfortable he- here? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now and like after nine years, mm-hmm. it feels a little bit better. But at the beginning, it was aside from being far from family, the adjusting part was not being as neighbor friendly. Mm. Um. For us, it's common to go and knock on your neighbor because your neighbors are your friends. Here in the States, is not normal. Like, people do not open the doors to you. Mm. That was my adjusting. Mm. Did you feel that when you were in college? I mean, college is like dorm life. It's a little more like that? Or is it just more of an attitude that people have and they just don't have an attitude of being friendly here? Yeah, that's right. It's the attitude. Mm. And luckily, we felt where we live now in Seattle... We live on the north side of Seattle and people are friendly. Like if you walk, we also live on a neighborhood that it's like more elderly people. Mm -hmm. But when you go more towards downtown, more towards like the tech area, like Mm -hmm. people are just walking with their headphones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, I've just wasted about a dozen smiles. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know if where, I don't know where you bought the the little sugar cane. Did you buy it at a regular store or Latin store? Oh, I bought it on Amazon. Oh, geez. See? <laughs> because let me tell you, the place where I go to buy Latin stuff, it's it's called the little Plaza Latina. And when I go there, I feel like I've entered my 90s. Like, oh, really? Oh, my God. It just feels, it's so heartwarming to get in there because we all talk Spanish. Even mm. if you see Caucasian people there, they, they say hello in Spanish. Mm. Because we all come from South American countries where we all smile and say hello. Right. So for those of us who are like America is our home culture and we know people who America is a second culture to, what would be your advice on how we could, what could we do to help? To please smile. Just smile. Yes. I mean, smile and nod your head, you know, if you don't want to say hello. Mm. It really helps. There are some, there were, there have been days where I felt like, oh, like someone have looked at me like in a despicable way. And it's mm. weird. I mean, it's, it had those, it does not happen very often to me because a lot of people can't tell because of my English, mm. but they can tell because of my skin color. They know I'm Latin and very rare occasions I've felt the way they look at me and it just feels awful. So I can't imagine the people who are on a daily basis look like this. Mm. being stared like that um so I just feel like you know a smile can help anyone you just don't know what that person has been through Mm -hmm. and and just giving them a smile can just give them a a feeling of like okay I feel 
I feel a little bit more comfortable walking around here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very simple, you know, a smile. That is awfully simple. That is not hard to do. Yes. Um, well, I feel like I could talk to you forever, but I should probably <laughs> let you get on with your day. But thank you so much for your time and for this recipe and really just for teaching me so much. Oh, no. Thank you for letting me share. Tell everybody where they can find you and your beautiful work. Well, they can find me on Instagram, uh, <laughs> on World Kitchen Adventures. Mm-hmm. And my blog, there's a link for my blog on my profile. Mm-hmm. And I usually post a new recipe uh, every week on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. When you develop your recipes, where are you drawing your inspiration? Uh, it all comes from memories, from my travels. 95% of my recipes are born from memories. And the mm-hmm. 5% are from produce going bad in my house. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. That's a great reason to develop a recipe. <laughs> I'm all for that. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you very much, Becky. You too. Melissa's contact information is in the show notes on my website. Simply go to thestoriedrecipe.com, click on podcast episodes, and you can find her information. You can also find the recipe for her pristinos and her mango sauce in the recipe index. On my website, you can also find weekly episodes released every Wednesday, or you can subscribe via your favorite player. You can join the Storied Recipe community by following me over on Instagram and tagging any of these recipes with hashtag Storied Recipe. My guests love to see their cherished recipes enjoyed by others. Finally, please know that I truly believe everyone has a story to share, and I would love to hear and photograph yours. Please reach out. And in the meantime, have a great week, my friends.